This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show, the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath, registered nurse, nurse continence advisor, sex educator, coming to you live every Sunday night. So thank you so much for being here with me. Uh, talk about lots of subjects on the program. I I really appreciate your email, so feel free to email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. You can call me if you like. Don't be shy. 1-877-399-9898 because healthy communication is important, even on radio. Uh, and I really appreciate uh, hearing from you. Uh, I actually had a listener call me and said, uh, can you give me your address so I can send you a letter? <laughs> I do get a number of letters, so thank you for that as well. Um, but healthy communication is consistently cited as one of the most important elements in a successful marriage. Also, marrying the right person is helpful as well. Uh, this week in my clinical practice, I had to speak to a couple of men, more than a couple of men, about how they treat their wives, how they were um, berating their wives, belittling their wives, and name-calling their wives. And so that is not on. One gentleman <clears throat> said to me, well, I don't treat people outside of the home this way. And it's like, if you did, you would never get a promotion. You'd probably lose your job. You wouldn't have friends. You wouldn't be able to be on the hockey team or, or whatever. And so that is not an excuse that you can treat the one you love, the one you're that you, you know, that you're the closest with, that you can actually scream at them. This is never okay. If you were raised in a family like this, and so many people were, it's not okay. There are families that did not teach their children to that screaming at them was okay, that belittling them was okay, or that name calling was okay. There are families like that, let me tell you, and that is actually a much more peaceful way to be. And that's why healthy communication is so important, because otherwise you really will be engaging in a toxic relationship, and nobody can move forward in a toxic relationship, and it actually will have a tremendously negative impact. And it will also get in the way of achieving your goals in your relationship, and it will impact your children as well and surely you can't feel well do, treating people this way so it can be a bad habit or it can be something you were taught as a kid and I'm here to tell you that do not listen to your parents listen to me <laughs> Because this is a much more peaceful way. There are certainly uh, statements you can use, pat statements or mantras. I like the term curious because I think that doesn't make people defensive. So I'm curious why you bought that brand new car without mentioning a word to me. <laughs> uh, or I'm curious why you've decided to move the entire family across the country without mentioning that you'd accepted that position and that was what that involved. So there are those kinds of things that, that occur. So healthy communication is consistently cited, as I said, as one of the most important elements in a successful marriage. And you know what? You are going to have to be talking back and forth to your spouse for a long time and at the end of the day that may be all that you have and that of course has something to do with how you've treated your body all along the way and so I'm also seeing 40 year old guys in my clinical practice who have erectile dysfunction because they have been smoking they have been eating tons and tons of sugar they've led sedentary lifestyles they um, are not exercising and you know you think even if you are exercising and you know uh, 
well and you're trim, but you know what, if you use an excessive amount of salt or you smoke, whether it be cigarettes, cigars, um, tipperillo, whatever, uh, if you, um, cigars, cigarettes, tipperillo, uh, you know what, that has an impact on your blood vessels and the, and, Sex is about blood flow. Your erection is about blood flow. So cut out the sugar, sugar, um, cut out the smoking, the alcohol. All of that actually makes your arteries uh, and blood vessels too thin for the blood to flow. So that might be all you have at the end of the day because you can't get it up. So you can just talk to somebody. So you might as well start training and uh, and start talking appropriately. But there are certain things that no husband ever wants to hear. And one of those things is we need to talk. That is like the kiss of death. You know, it's like, ah, we need to talk. Guys don't like to talk, especially about feelings. They were not socialized that way. And you know what? This is, yeah, you might need to talk, but this is never a good way to start a serious conversation. And this is really the king of all phrases that really ignites dread in the hearts of men. So it's, it, it, signifies to them that this is going to be a difficult conversation and it's probably not going to go well for them. So you don't really want to start out with this fear-based uh, conversation and accompanying dread. So try not to say we need to talk. Also, there are no mind readers out there except me, of course. Uh, you should know how I'm feeling. No matter how well your husband knows you, or even your wife for that matter, this is not just about, I mean, tongue-in-cheek that this is around um, guys, but, you know, guys will react a little bit differently to some of these phrases, but nobody should ever know how somebody else is feeling unless you tell them how you're feeling. So you can't really expect somebody that you love, you know, that you expect them to be your best friend and your lover and your financier and your confidant. Well, they can't be your mind reader either. So um, this is this is something that's critical. You need to say, I'm, I'm having a hard time with this or I'm feeling sad about that. That type of thing. Uh, the other thing is, why don't you ever? If anything will get the hackles up, this will do it. No matter what the end of this question is, it is already overflowing with negative connotations and shame before you have even delivered the subject matter. So there are definitely other ways of saying this. Uh, so, I, you know, going back to my word, curious. I love that word. I am curious why you don't ever take me out for dinner anymore. It's because you've gained a lot of weight. That's what my husband would say. <laughs> um, because I have. Because <laughs> I went on vacation. Anyway, that's enough of my personal life. Um, but nonetheless, yes, I am actually eating better right now. I am uh, living, uh, you know, no sweets, no, no whatever. Anyway, we're talking about men. All right. You never want to say, you know, the word Hate is not a good word. It's just never a good word. Or dislike immensely. Uh, uh, dislike immensely is a is a way better say, way to say anything that that says hate. Um, you know, when you really shouldn't engage in these um, fiery conversations or this you know all out brawl, especially if you have children. You know, it's not good for you. It's not for, good for your heart health. It's not good for your kids. But you never want to say I hate your friends, you know, because it's really not about you. His friends are not about you. Even if you're not crazy about his friends, maybe one in particular, you know, you don't want to say that you hate them. Men's friendships are so important and they're tenuous. And so it's, it's difficult for, uh, men to remain, uh, friendly with other guys, especially when they're in a romantic relationship. So, there, you, you need to actually encourage men to have their friends. Um, and, you know, as long as they're not disrespectful or as long as they're, you know, 
not getting your husband into trouble. Of course, if he's blaming his extramarital affair on his friend, um, that his friend made him do it. That there may be some truth in that because people who have extramarital affairs do actually have friends who engage in extramarital affairs because they share all the excitement about it. Anyway, um, never say this. You need a better job. That equates to you don't make enough money. And we're actually, that's a, just a, a gigantic put down. Um, whether you think they can do better on the career front, you don't want to bluntly uh, say this. It won't get you uh, very far. And they're also, they might be thinking that you're just using them for their money, especially if you may not be working or you may not be advancing your career uh, as well. Um, so you may want to talk about goal setting and or maybe going back to school, uh, you know, and, you know, just encourage them as well. We all, we don't want to stay complacent. Remember where complacency gets you nowhere. Uh, also, they never do this, so you might as well say this. You never help around the house. I, I was back with my family reunion and um you know one of my brothers as i was furiously cleaning up the summer house one of my brothers stood there just saying wow you're like the ever ready bunny i'm like could you actually bring out a bag of trash or something you know <laughs> he was in awe of my energy and but did he help at all no <laughs> well he did bring out the one bag of trash but he had to be directed i mean for crying out loud anyway so you never help around the house i really don't know another way you can say that, but this is one of the worst things you can say to your husband, apparently, according to dating coach and author Erica Gordon. Erica, you're going too easy on them. Um, you know what? It's it's a good idea to divide up the, the uh, chores in the house, um, you know, acknowledge what he's already done. Sometimes these guys are, can be a little bit sensitive. Um, you know, also, we need some space is another negative thing that um, indicates that something is very, very wrong. Um also, you're not listening to me. Just accept that, ladies, because they really don't listen. Um, but they, it, it, instead of assuming that they didn't hear you, you can ask them again. I'm curious. Are you listening to me? <laughs> and I'll just continue to talk if you don't. Um, or I don't want to talk about it. Is it might seem like it's a non-dramatic thing to say, but it actually can make people feel very bad about what's going on. And you know, the silent treatment is so harmful to relationships. It's really a negative um, way. You know, it's really a negative uh, defense mechanism or whatever. And again, a lot of people are taught that. They are taught that, um, you know what, just just don't talk to them for 24, 48 hours. It's a killer. You know, it's not it's not very good. It's, it's definitely a relationship killer. Anyway, I've only been able to get through 10 of my things you should never say to your sensitive guy. Um, but uh, we'll carry on with this on this show and upcoming shows. When I come back, the five rules for... Why, what you should not do if you're having an extramarital affair and don't want to get caught. I'm Maureen McGrath and you're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about the different times that women are at risk for stroke. We often associate stroke with older people or men in particular, but stroke can happen to anyone at any age. In fact, there are 6,300 babies who have had strokes in Canada. Yet, And also, stroke disproportionately affects women. So it's not 
the men. It's the women are more likely to die of stroke. Women have worse outcomes after stroke. More women are living with the effects of stroke and women face more challenges as they recover because our bodies are not the same as men's. And the stroke will affect a woman very differently at different stages of her life. So the three times that women are at, at greater risk of stroke is during pregnancy, which people may not think about. I have a, a very good friend who had twins she had help syndrome and uh, just the night before she was to deliver she was itchy uh, she had symptoms uh, of her help syndrome and she had begged the doctors to deliver her to take her babies they were about 36 weeks gestation and they they wouldn't uh, or they didn't and in the night uh, they were going to do it two or three days later and she was in the hospital and in the night she um, actually stroked uh, and they delivered her babies by emergency section the next day and she's actually um, lived in a very um, you know decline declining state uh, since the birth of those twins so pregnancy is um, uh, is a time when women are at great risk of stroke and also another time is when women's bodies adapt to menopause a woman's risk of stroke will increase again and of course elderly women are especially vulnerable and they're the most likely to have a stroke and their strokes are the most severe and I had a patient in my clinical practice and she was caring for her husband who had Alzheimer's disease and she was just lovely and just just a wonderful woman and this was maybe five or six years ago now and and it, there wasn't so much information at, at that time about the effect of caregiver uh, health when you know when somebody is caring for someone 24 hours especially a big man who had Alzheimer's disease and and so the impact on her health was tremendously negative and she suffered a stroke and I felt so badly because she was in such great condition but this obviously must ha have affected her uh, tremendously the uh, elderly women who have a stroke uh, have the poorest of outcomes and actually stroke can put an end to their independence where they can end up with deficits like uh, weakness on one side. Uh, you know, women's lives are very different from men's. Uh, you know, we're used to being caregivers. We're, we're used to being independent. We don't want to take be taken care of by others. And um, and this is, you know, this is critical. And, and also... So sometimes that may not be the best way, ladies. That's all. You know, sometimes take all the help you can get. I do. <laughs> Anyone offers me help, that's it. I'm taking it. Um, at, at, and especially during pregnancy, that's an important time. You know, if somebody even wants to open the door, accept it. Uh, because there may never be another time that they offer any help. Uh, but it's important that we are not so fiercely independent and think we can do everything or be the type E, everything to everybody. Okay, so I actually need to go into rehab for that. But anyhow, um, this is something I'm totally guilty of. What, what do we do? We educate about what we need the most help with. But I do want to mention the, um, the signs of stroke. Uh, and so you can remember it with uh, the acronym FAST. So face, is it drooping? Arms, can you raise both? Speech, is it slurred or jumbled? And time, 
it's time to call 911 right away. So fast. Remember that. And you know what? You can do that in 10 seconds. Um, you know, looking at somebody's face, see if there's, if it's drooping. Ask them if they can raise both of their arms. Ask them to talk to you. Is their speech jumbled? And then if not, call 911 right away. Another time a woman might have a stroke, pun intended, is when she learns that her husband is having an extramarital affair. <laughs> That'll certainly send a woman soaring blood pressure really high and you are at risk of stroke although there's nothing documented in the evidence about that however I have to say I've had a number of patients in my clinical practice this week who have been on either end of the extramarital affair bed and um, there are certain things that I notice in uh, in people that things that people do that I think why did you do this or why did you not do this when you were having this extramarital affair now mind you I am not condoning extramarital affairs in any way shape or form uh, the best thing to do when you are having trouble in your relationship is to actually seek the help of a marriage counselor or a therapist email me for crying out loud before you jump into the sack with somebody at work but um, th these are things that people have they that they didn't do and I think okay this is how you got caught okay <laughs> um, so also know that an affair is a surefire sign of issues in your marriage and it's difficult to um, you know it's difficult to deal with issues in the marriage because these are tough subjects and I was talking to a 30 year old guy on the plane this morning and uh, not this this week not this morning um, this week whose parents had been divorced and he told me the impact that divorce had on him his grades plummeted and his younger brother started using drugs at the same time and he said his father had had an affair and he had no idea why and my guess is that it was a sexless marriage so if you are having an affair think about having an affair is my number one advice to you continue to sleep with your partner okay <laughs> You can think about the person you're having the affair with, but that is a surefire sign. When you stop having sex in your marriage, it's like, okay, there must be somebody else. Also, turn off your location device thingy on your phone because somebody can find you where you are. Don't text in front of your spouse. Okay, don't text your lover in front of your spouse repeatedly because that actually can be an addiction. And so it's, it's very exciting. The uh, you know, it's very arousing when you're sexting back and forth or even just talking to somebody back and forth. Don't have sex in your marital bed. M huge mistake. And then the last uh, bit of advice is passwords, passwords, passwords on all your devices. So these are the ways that people are found out and it's always better to just say, "Hey, we're having problems in the relationship. This is the deal. But having this kind of behavior and not really um, being respectful of your spouse, uh, you know, I know that affairs can be exciting uh, for you, but these are some of my rules for having an affair. And if you don't want to get caught, I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. We are in the final stroke of the program here. Time flies when you're having fun. Hope you've had a little bit of fun tonight. We, I know we've had some heavy subjects on the program tonight. Uh, these are subjects that we need to talk about so that we can help to resolve them and so people can understand them and so that they can lead better lives. Sadly, this week we lost the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, a voice from heaven, a cultural and musical icon, a reach as broad as her range. Her music percolated with heartbreak, heroism, and hope. She died of pancreatic cancer this week. We'll have a little tune.
just a little respect. That's all I ask. Uh, that's all anyone deserves. You know, we, we deserve to have a little bit of respect and that's self-respect as well. I, uh, I have a friend who, uh, died of pancreatic cancer as well. And it was a few years ago. He called me six months before he died and he wanted to talk about the troubles he was having in his marriage. It was his second marriage. And he'd had a lot of troubles in his first marriage. Uh, his uh, wife had had a lot of issues uh, with substance use. And uh, and so he had married for the second time. He really adored her. Things were extremely great in the bedroom, he told me. But his troubles were financial, not sexual. And they were living beyond their means. And that was the specific issue. And he was really troubled by this. And it was around Christmas time. And I remember it was pouring rain. I was sitting outside of a, of a Whole Foods and uh, had a Christmas tree on top of the of my car. And uh, he didn't know how to deal with this at all. And, and he was he was embarrassed. There was this whole keeping up with the Joneses, Joneses type of thing with his wife. There were private schools and that he couldn't afford and um, you know business had, had taken a downturn for him uh, in a particular economy and uh, so we got together after Christmas and I remember um, you know seeing him he was a really good-looking guy you know he was in his 40s and um, I thought wow he is not aging well you know the signs of pancreatic cancer um, the, it's often uh, too too little, too late. You can't actually, um, you know, the, the, the disease has progressed so far because there are so few uh, early symptoms of this disease. And um, and so we got together in probably the end of January, beginning of February, and he had died in May. Um, just a few months later, he was then diagnosed about a month or two later. And, um, you know, he tried alternative treatments and um, and then I remember him saying, "I, you know, I've come home, um, you know, to, to have uh, traditional treatment because he was given a, a very negative prognosis and a, a very um, tough prognosis. And he was the father of a number of children, and he had responsibilities. And um, anyway, uh, you know, this is a very tough illness. Pancreatic cancer begins in the tissues of your pancreas, which is an organ that's located in your abdomen that lies horizontally behind the lower part of your stomach, and your pancreas." Uh, the role of your pancreas is to release enzymes that help with digestion and hormones that help to manage your blood sugar. Pancreatic cancer usually spreads very quickly to nearby organs, and that and it's also rarely detected in the early stages, which is most unfortunate. Those people who have had pancreatic cysts or family history of pancreatic cancer, you may want to take some screening steps that may help to detect the problem early. One sign of pancreatic cancer is diabetes. Diabetes, especially when it occurs with weight loss. Now, that's not all the time because you certainly can um, be diagnosed with diabetes and weight loss is, is concomitant with that. Um, but it doesn't always mean um, that you have pancreatic cancer. But it, if it is in the face of jaundice or pain in the upper abdomen that spreads to the back, uh, this may be one of the earliest signs of uh, that we can um, where we can diagnose um, pancreatic cancer. And the treatment includes surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, or a combination of any one of these. But it's largely a palliative treatment. Um, the the one year survival rate is about twenty percent, and the five years seven percent. As I said, the symptoms are pain in the upper abdomen that radiate to your back, loss of appetite or unintended weight loss, depression, new onset diabetes, blood clots, fatigue, yellowing of your skin, and the whites of your eyes. So 
You do want to see your doctor if you experience unexplained weight loss at any time or if you have persistent fatigue, abdominal pain, jaundice, or any of these symptoms um, that may lead you to this. And we don't know what the cause of pancreatic cancer is in most cases, but there are factors such as smoking that may increase your risk of developing the disease. Um, and, you know... There are risk factors to this disease as well. So chronic inflammation of your pancreas, which is pancreatitis effectively. My dog actually had pancreatitis one time and was so sick. Um, and people who have pancreatitis are so sick. I, I actually have a friend who had pancreatitis and uh, he credits me with saving his life. Um, I, and I'm not exactly sure why. I, I was actually uh, work, I was doing some work in the hospital and he was in the emergency department. And anyway, for some reason, he thinks that I saved his life, but I did not. He had pancreatitis and, and got the appropriate treatment. Um, also, another risk factor is diabetes or a family history of genetic syndromes that can increase cancer risk, including a BRCA2 gene mutation, Lynch syndrome, and a familial atypical mole malignant melanoma or FAM syndrome. Smoking, obesity, and older age, as most people are diagnosed after the age of 65. So it was unusual that my friend was diagnosed in his early 40s. Um, but there, there was a large study done that demonstrated that the combination of smoking, long-standing diabetes, and a poor diet increases your risk of pancreatic cancer beyond the risk of any one of these factors alone. So the complications are weight loss and jaundice. And if you saw Aretha Franklin, she was quite a heavy set woman uh, for most of her years until she began became sick. And she actually lived, I think, about a year to a year and a half um, after her diagnosis. But she had lost a tremendous amount of weight. And there are a number of different factors that may cause that weight loss in people with pancreatic cancer. It may be the cancer itself. It can be the nausea and vomiting caused by the cancer treatments or a tumor that's pressing on the stomach that may make it difficult for people to eat. Uh, people may also get jaundice because the pancreatic cancer blocks the liver's bile duct, and, bile duct and that is what causes jaundice. And the signs include yellow skin and yellow eyes, dark colored urine and pale colored stools and jaundice usually occurs without abdominal pain um, and you may actually require a tube that is inserted inside of the bile duct to keep it open to prevent that from happening. Um, pain is another significant um, symptom of pancreatic cancer because the tumor that is growing may press on the nerves in your abdomen and that causes pain and that pain can become very severe and many people need to take pain medication uh, for that or other alternative ways to address their pain. Acupuncture uh, may be helpful. Uh, radiation therapy may help stop the tumor to grow temporarily to give some, some relief. A lot of this care is palliative and it just depends how advanced it is. People may also get a bowel obstruction because the pancreatic cancer may grow into or press on the first part of your small intestine, your duodenum, and that can block the flow of digested food from your stomach into your intestines. Again, you may need to have a, a tube inserted or a stent into your small intestine to hold it open, or you may need to have surgery uh, to attach your stomach to a lower point in your intestines so that it isn't blocked by cancer. Um, and and uh, my friend lost a significant amount of weight. He was quite a large man. He was quite tall and, and normal weight, um, but he actually probably dropped about half of his weight. Some of the prevention of pancreatic cancer, you may want to stop smoking. You just stop smoking anyway because you're going to get erectile dysfunction at 
some point in your life and and early you may so smoking is never good um, and there are many strategies support groups medications and nicotine replacement therapy uh, to stop that smoking um, and you know what guys are really driven by sex okay so if you know a lot of guys come into my practice they can't get an erection they're overweight they smoke they're sedentary I give them a little diet the all-in diet I suggest they stop smoking cut down on the alcohol or eliminate the alcohol together get off the couch start exercising and within a month they're having erections again so if you're having erectile dysfunction you can email me I'll send you my little plan um, and, and that's a healthy diet a diet full of colorful fruits and vegetables and whole grains may actually help reduce your risk of cancer and it may actually help you have to have um, better erections as well I was getting I was at a party last night and a friend of mine was uh, <laughs> I'm going to give his name. No. Uh, a friend of mine was giving me a hard time about those 1-800-bladder.com commercials you may have been hearing here and there. And I said, uh, he said, I prefer your uh, commercials about sex. And I said, listen, that is about sex too. Uh, there's, uh, there's there's some new treatments that are available. The Kegel Throne is one um, option, and that delivers 11,800 Kegels in 28 minutes and one, you know, for guys, uh, Kegels are important and blood flow is important and that can actually, it, that may actually help not only to improve your bladder symptoms, but it may actually help you to get an erection as well. So just trying to get all this little bits of information in that's all related in as much as possible. When I come back, I'm going to uh, read some of your emails, heartbreaking as they may be. I am Maureen McGrath, and you're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. We are in the final stroke of the program tonight. Uh, most couples, uh, you know, you have the wedded bliss, maybe. You might not have to have, you might not have the wedding, um, prior to having the baby, but, um, sometimes you might not realize that sex changes after you have a baby. Uh, and that might be a little disappointing for you because you think you're all prepared, you're, you've had the Lamaze classes, you've mapped out the way to the hospital, all things are amazing. And according to a mattress company, Lisa, uh, sex changes after you've had the baby. And 46% of couples, of a thousand couples that were surveyed by Lee's mattress company, uh, said that their, the intimacy had decreased in their relationship which is which is too bad it was it was notable though that um the because i hear this all the time from women in my clinical practice because i pretty much have a clinical practice of couples that aren't having sex and so the women always say i just want to cuddle or he says uh she, you know she just wants to cuddle and that is the intimate act that increases the most after one has had a baby um and so that's uh that's not necessarily a good thing but you know it it, it can be the result of the hormone oxytocin oxytocin which actually um helps or create you know, creates that bond between mother and baby. So nearly half of parents say their sex life got worse after the kids according to this new 
uh, study by the mattress company. It's Lisa, L-E-E-S-A, sorry, not Lise. Uh, women were much more likely, this is a shocker, women were much more likely than men to want less sex after the birth of a baby. Almost half of parents said the frequency of sex decreased after having kids. I hear that in my clinical practice all the time. I will say, at what point did the sex diminish or was the frequency less? And they say, once the kids arrived. Uh, so it's important to keep that intimacy uh, going in your relationship uh, after you've had the baby because uh, there are there are risks to a sexless marriage. Um, the changes that occur after having a baby can be due to a number of factors, and including you know, body image. A woman's body may change dramatically after she's had a baby. Certain things that may have turned a woman on prior to having children may not turn the woman on after she's had the baby. Also, there is the Madonna whore syndrome, where a man uh, is fine making love to a woman, a motherless, uh, a child this woman, but um, now that this woman has had his baby, he feels uh, conflicted. Um, our sleep schedules are affected, and the, our free time for romance is cut tragically short, and that can keep anyone's libido down. Women play dead a lot more after the baby is born. <laughs> than before. 61% of women wanted less sex after the birth of the child compared to just 30% of men. I'm not sure why men uh, don't want sex, um, but women are wired to develop a strong bond with their kids, which comes, as I said, um, by way of the hormone oxytocin. And also taking care of a small child, small or baby, can satisfy a woman's need for attachment and closeness. And uh, so as I said, the, the most increased acts of intimacy were cuddling, manual stimulation, just get that over with, oral sex where the male receives it, manual stimulation where the woman receives it, and oral sex where the woman receives it. And in that order, the most decreased acts of intimacy, so keep this in mind, making out. So the kissing falls out of the bed, falls off the bed, vaginal intercourse, oral sex where the male receives, oral sex where the female receives, and anal sex is the most decreased act of intimacy. I don't know, maybe it has something to do with becoming a mother. But um, so, you know what, it's important when you're thinking about having a baby, you know, Think about what may happen to your relationship afterward. I actually had a friend who was getting, she was married to her, the love of her life, Ed. And, um, and I remember her saying when they were having their first baby, I don't want our baby to come between us. I thought that was a really odd thing to say. She said it repeatedly. She said it all the time. And, you know, most women are like so excited to have the baby. And, um, and she kept thinking that it was going to impact, uh, their relationship. Uh, they are no longer together. <laughs> The children did get in the way, obviously. No, I think it was other reasons. He had lots of problems with jobs and he had drinking issues and he was, um, he was just a, a full on jerk. Um, aside from that, you know, but, uh, the baby was not the reason. I wanted to read an email that I received recently. Dear Maureen, recently I caught my wife having an affair. I suspected because my neighbor told me he saw a man entering and leaving my home during the daytime several times in a week. I put security cameras throughout the home and have on film my my wife greeting a man 
again and then walking upstairs with him and yes having sex in our marital bed as you said this is a rule for affairs I am devastated and furious at the same time I have presented my wife with the information and we had a massive blowout and she said she was sorry she carries on as if nothing happened we've been out with friends and family and she acts like nothing is has changed she has told me that I didn't make enough money and that we should have made other decisions about our life, like where we bought our first house. My mother is such a family person, and we have a family dinner every Saturday night. I'm so afraid that my mother will find out, and, and of course, uh, she will hate her forever. Trust, of course, is an issue, and I imagine this will be for the rest of our marriage. I'm desperate. We have three kids, all with busy lives, and this is affecting everything, not to mention I'm going crazy. Desperate Dale in Drum Heller. Oh, I mean, there's so much here. Uh, this situation, there obviously were issues in the marriage. Uh, everybody needs to look at their own contribution to the marital breakdown, to the problems in the marriage. In fact, that's a rule in my clinical practice. When people come in and they, you know, about 10 or 15 minutes, they're, they're like, she did this, she did that, she did this. And then he's like, she's like, he did this, he did this, he did, he's this, he's this. And I say, that's enough of that. And now we have to go back to what did you contribute to the breakdown of your marriage? And, um, so that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, the security cameras in the house. Okay, that's a little drastic. So now you have on film your wife having sex with somebody else. Um, so that just makes me a little nervous. Um, but anyway, <laughs> and of course she's going to carry on like nothing has happened because denial is a drug. And denial, we, we respond with denial in many situations. Um, and so unless you actually talk about the elephant in the room, nothing is going to change. And yes, it, you know, you have to decide whether, I mean, you know, typically these aren't, typically people don't want to leave the marriage. The marriage is more than just sex. In fact, marriage has nothing to do with sex. Uh, marriage has to do with families and country clubs and schools and neighbors and kids. And so you have to decide, do you want to, um, keep all of that intact or what is it that you want to do because it will really affect your children in a negative way and forget about your mother who cares sounds like she's a little judgmental anyway um, and if she finds out so what everybody's had marital problems anyway that's uh, it for the show tonight uh, thank you to Tim French for a bang up job on the boards tonight thank you so much appreciate it and uh, remember you can uh, this show is uh, a free download on iTunes so head on over just, just Google Go Maureen McGrath iTunes and you can download and subscribe to that and go to my website if you like, back to the bedroom.ca and follow me on Twitter at back the number two, the bedroom. Remember when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I am Maureen McGrath and you've been listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.